Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, just the first three verses. Uh, if you're able, would you please stand as we read God's Word together? <clears throat> now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, we pray, uh, our great God and our King, would you uh, open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, our hearts to embrace, our lives to be changed by this, your word, to the honor and glory of Christ. And in his name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Corey Ten Boom has a um, fairly famous poem uh, in which she describes her life like a, a tapestry. My life is but a weaving between my God and me, is how the poem begins. You know how a tapestry works, right? There's a scene on one side and the other side, not so much. There's this famous tapestry, the Bayou Tapestry in Bayou, France, uh, depicts the Norman Conquest, William the Conqueror, 1066. This thing's like 900 years old now. Um, rediscovered in 1944 in a lead box in the the basement of the basement of the Louvre. Uh, And it's now back in Normandy where it belongs. 70 meters long. That's 76 yards, for those of you that don't do the meter thing. Three-fourths of a football field. Uh, And it's like a book, basically, because each... There's this kind of broken into chapters and each chapter has scenes and it's this really cool, amazing tapestry. But see, that's the part I don't want you to care about. I want you to think about the side hanging up against the wall. The side nobody sees. The side, quite honestly, nobody wants you to see. Because on one side is this big, giant book illustrated with thread that that paints the picture of the Norman Conquest on the other side, on the back side, on the the side that's up against the wall. I'm guessing you're not allowed to walk over there and, and look behind it. That side is a mangled, gnarled mess of who knows what and quite honestly, who cares? But there's strings and colors and yarn and knots and there's stuff going every which way because because that's the side that's just kind of, you know, that's where everything just sort of comes through. And we want to make sure this side, the upper side, the front side is the side with the scene on and it's the important side and the back side ends up looking like a big giant blob. Well, Corey Ten Boom described herself like that, like her life, described her life like a tapestry. The problem is she's keenly aware of the fact that the part she sees, the part you and I see, is that backside. In her language, she, she kind of tends to forget that God sees the upper and I the underside, she says. You just sort of picture your life as a, a tapestry being woven by God and it's kind of hovering over your head and he sees one side and you see 
the loose ends, the knots, the mix of colors that are knotted together to keep them from pulling back through, but they don't really need to be together on the, the other side. And the question is that, that actually you face every single day, whether you, I, I don't know if you even think about this. We, we probably should, actually. But, but you constantly face a question. Uh, whether you realize it or acknowledge it or not, or realizing it or not, that asks this, how am I going to live my life in light of the fact that I don't get to see the pretty scenic side. I don't get to see the, the pretty scenic side of the tapestry of my life. I see the gnarled, mangled, messy side. And quite honestly, we, we, we kind of, we, we want to jump, Right? You know, when there's something just too high, there's, there's something on top of the refrigerator. I know it's there and I'm feeling for it. You, you jump to see if you can see it. You get a chair, you climb up, you see, can I, can I just see over the edge and just get a glimpse of what God's doing? But you can't. We don't see that side of the tapestry. We see the mangled, gnarled underside. And so the question is, how will we live in light of that? Maybe you noticed, I don't, maybe you didn't notice, maybe you, maybe you don't remember from week to week. I actually skipped the end of Hebrews 10. Um, I jumped over verses 32 to 39 uh, so that we could look just at these three verses Today, my goal is, Lord willing, uh, to come back next week and preach the end of 10 and all of 11 together because they all go together. It's all one long story. It's all one long context. But it made sense to sort of ask the question or to to spend some time on these three verses because these verses get at the heart of the Christian life. You and I have been called to live in light of this new reality inaugurated by the person and work of Christ. Between that and the final perfect reality that Christ brings when he returns. The already and the not yet. The now and the not yet. We're in this sort of in-between time. And the reality is the original audience of this letter or sermon, it's, it's more like a sermon than a letter, quite honestly. But the original audience lived in the exact same time you and I do. They have no advantage over us. We have no advantage over them. They too live after the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And before the return of Christ. They live in the exact same in-between time. The exact same, same already and not yet that you and I do. But they're in danger of falling away. They're in danger of giving up. They're in danger of quitting. They're in danger of, of just throwing in the towel altogether. Why? Because the underside of the tapestry was more than they could handle. And so how will you and I live in light of the fact that our, these eyeballs, the eyeballs in our head, see 
just the underside of the tapestry. And the key is we need new eyes. We need new sight. We need a a new way of seeing. We need a new way of of grabbing hold of, of seeing what God is doing. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us about this new sight, this new way of seeing. He calls us to live by faith. And he tells us in these verses that faith is the better eyes, the better sight by which we can see the tapestry from God's perspective. And it sounds like, I guess you could go back to, it depends on what your definition of is, is. It sounds like he's giving us a definition of faith. However, there are things missing from this definition. Quite honestly, there are some important things missing from this definition. Like nowhere does he mention in verse 1, that faith is a gift. But Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 2 that, it's, that it is a gift. That it's a gift from God. And it's not something we can muster. Faith is not something we sort of draw up from deep inside of us and cause into, you know, call into existence and make it happen. And so if, if this is really a definition, there are things missing. I don't think it's a definition. I think it's a description that's a, a a bit of a difference, a bit of a, a chain. It's not a change. It's not really a definition of what faith is, but a description of what faith is. I have tools. I don't use them. I have some. I'm not really sure I know how to use them, quite honestly. I get some of you to come over to the house. And, but if I grab a tool and I go, what is this? You can define it for me, and that's fine. What I'm really asking is, what do I do with it? How do I use this? What good is it in this particular scenario? And that's what the writer is doing in this context. He gives you these two phrases in verse 1 that are parallel um, and describe what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What's interesting is he uses a, a, a Greek word here that, that we have translated as assurance. The Greek word is hypostasis. You want to learn from Greek? There you go. Um, literally, it's under stance. So if you, if you literally want to just take the sort of the etymology of the word, then it's sort of substance or, or a found foundation or a basis or that on which you build something. But interestingly, it's been used twice already in Hebrews. Turn with me. Let me just do a quick little survey. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Let me just show you how this word has has shown up in previous passages. Chapter 1 verse 3. Talking about Jesus. He's the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint... Of his nature, that word nature is hypostasis. It's the same word, which sort of it's the he's the the substance of God, the representation of God. He he is exactly who God is and on the earth. Turn to chapter three, verse fourteen. For we have come for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence. The word confidence. Hypostasis, the exact same word. 
And you're thinking to yourself, well, now this is really not all that helpful. Like, why bother pointing out that this word could mean any number of things? How do I know which one's right? Right? I mean, it's like those situations when you ask someone, well, do you mean this or this? And their answer is yes. There's, There's something to that here. That the reality is in this context, in Hebrews 11, you almost feel like he's chosen this word on purpose. Because all of them are true. Because because the reality is, this is the foundation on which we build our lives. And at the same time, it it is the assurance, the confidence we have of the things that we hope for. To have a solid basis to stand on when everything else around you is crashing down, that's what you need faith for. To have assurance about something that your eyes can't show you to be true, that's exactly what we need faith for. To be confident about something that your senses can't perceive, that's faith. There's a singer-songwriter, folk singer guy, David Wilcox. He sings a song called Hold It Up to the Light. And there's a, a verse in that song that says, I said, God, would you bless this decision? I'm scared. Is my life at stake? But I see, and I love the double entendre, but I see if you gave me a vision, would I never have reason to use my faith? Faith grabs hold of that which we cannot see. It's the conviction that what you can't see is true nonetheless. Or perhaps to put it in Corey ten Boom language. Faith is trusting that God is at work in weaving the tapestry of your life, even though you can't see the good side. Even though all you see is the tangled, gnarled, messy underside. You know he sees the good side and you trust in him. But if faith is the assurance of things hoped for, what is hope? See, again, and I've said this recently, I feel like this is probably just in the last two or three weeks, I've actually said this almost exact same sentence. We think of hope, well, the way we use hope is much more like wishful thinking. I hope Clemson wins the national championship. Now, if you've seen our defensive backs play, you know it's just wishful thinking. But that's not what hope is. Hope is laying hold of a promise. I have no promise. I have no guarantee. I have no reason to hope for Clemson to win the national championship, except that I want it. Right? I just, I wish that that would be, I would love for that to be true this year. But I have no reason, no basis, no substance, nothing to to ground that hope in. Biblically, hope is really more like, well, waiting, expecting, longing for that which God has promised to come true. It's basically like saying, well, I know this is a thing. Um, I don't see it yet. I'll just wait. I'll just expect it. I'll long for it. I'll desire it. That's the way hope works in Scripture. It's anticipating 
that which God has already promised. That raises a question. Actually, it it raises a couple of questions. Perhaps that, that might not cross our minds. Because if I'm going to expectantly wait for that which God has promised, there are three things that must be true about me. One, I have to know those promises. I can't put my faith and trust in something I don't know. Like, that's unfounded. That's baseless. That's substance-less. That's the opposite of the assurance of things hoped for. And so faith has to involve knowledge. I have to know, I have to know those promises. I have to know what it is I'm trusting. But it's not just enough to know it. I mean, I know the quadra- quadratic formula. I know the Pythagorean theorem. Okay. I have to know the promises, but then I also have to believe them to be true. I have to assent to their truthfulness. Because if I hear you say, right, I guarantee Clemson's going to win the national championship, I'm probably even going to laugh at you. Because I don't believe your promise to be true. But even that's not helpful because I know the Pythagorean theorem is true. What I really need is not just to know it or to assent to its truth. I need to trust it. I need to lean on it. I need to use it. I need to, to, to put my faith, my trust in it and, and lean all my weight on it. And so if we're going to have assurance, if faith is the assurance of things hoped for, I have to know what it is I'm hoping for. I have to believe that, that promise to be true and I have to trust. In other words, faith isn't a blind leap. Think about the times you hear people say things like, well, you just have to take that on faith. Like inevitably what they mean is that here's some options. We really have no reason whatsoever to choose one or the other. Just pick one and then you have to take that on faith. That's not faith. That's wishful thinking. That's that's sure would be cool if. But that's not faith. They mean faith is just simply a a blind leap into some dark abyss with no reason whatsoever to take that leap. But notice, notice the words in these first three verses. Verse one, faith is the assurance. It is the conviction. Verse three, by faith, we understand. Those are all Mind words. They're mental words. In other words, faith isn't mindless. It isn't thoughtless. It isn't, well, I can take this on faith or I can take it by, you know, knowledge and use my mind. And these, all three of these words, in fact, understand is actually a verb of the Greek noun for mind. We, by faith, we are mindful that the universe In other words, these are all things that that reflect 
mental participation, mental involvement. It's not simply a gut feeling. It's not simply a, a wish or a dream. It's not simply a mindless leap into some blind abyss. Faith leans on things that have evidence. In fact, what's interesting is the writer, oddly enough, begins his illustration. Now, you know how Hebrews 11 goes, right? You know we call it the hall of faith, and we're about to bump into a whole bunch of people. And, and we're not going to spend time on each individual person in Hebrews 11. Like I said, I, I intend to preach the end of 10 and all of 11 together next Sunday. But for some reason, the writer looks back to creation. For some reason, he, he, instead of looking at people and how they lived by faith, which he starts in verse 4, but he reaches back to creation. Notice this, his first sort of illustration of, of our faith at work. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, we understand that, that God created everything ex nihilo, out of nothing. That there was nothing and God, by the word of his power, stealing from the shorter catechism answer, by the word of his power, brings into existence the stuff, molds it, shapes it, gives it its instructions, and... He creates the materials and then forms those materials into planets and animals and land and various other things. He didn't use pre-existing materials because then the material would be self-existent and that would be a problem. That's a whole worldview question, right? Which, quite honestly, is another angle we could have gone with these first three verses. Why bother mentioning creation? Why bother... Going back to Genesis 1 and the beginning of all things. What does, what does creation have to do with the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen? Well, I think the connection is this. Your, well, the eyeballs in your head. Uh, the eyeballs in your head can see things that came from nothing. That which is visible came from that which was invisible. We're waiting on promises that right now are invisible. We're waiting on promises that right now the, these eyeballs in your head can't see. And the same word of God that created the visible creation, the visible cosmos, that created that which is visible from nothing can make the invisible promises of God visible when the time is right. In other words, you can trust God's word because the reality is you live the fulfillment of his word all the time. Wake up in the morning and go see the sunrise. Sit out at, in the evening and watch the sunset. Go grab vegetables from your vegetable garden. Hug your pet. 
you're living the fulfillment of God's word in the visible world. You live in light of God's fulfilled word all the time, which means you can trust him to fulfill yet another word later. If God's word can bring the cosmos into existence out of nothing, then you can be confident that every promise he has given, he can bring about. He's already done it. You can't pet your dog without acknowledging it. You can't pick a vegetable from your garden without recognizing it. There was nothing. He spoke. He made it be. That means that the things he's spoken, he can make be. I've got past evidence that he will fulfill the promises that he has made. Every promise of God is guaranteed to come to fruition because his word is already visible to you. You acknowledge it when you pet your dog. You know, there's a hymn that everybody knows. I don't mean everybody in the church. I mean literally everybody. There's a hymn that everybody knows that has a verse almost nobody knows. Okay, you know I love hymns. You know I think in music. You also are used to the fact that we generally are going to sing every verse of the hymn. Why? Because if you don't, you miss things like this. Verse 4 of Amazing Grace. Almost everybody skips. It's the link between saving, faith, saving grace in my past and the 10,000 years that are yet to come. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. Why would you skip that verse? That's the verse I need now to connect His saving grace then to the 10,000 years that I'm still waiting on. And we skip the one verse that says, look to His promises. They're promises that are guaranteed to be true, that are guaranteed to come about. You will see them with the eyeballs in your head one day, even though now you see them just by the eyeballs of faith. Look, I, I get it. Life gets sloppy. Life gets messy. Some of you know this better than others here at Grace Covenant. Some of you have lived this the last year and a half more than others, and I'm sorry for it. And life gets sloppy, and we live under these threads and these knots and these colors and these blobs, and it's a mess, and we don't know what to do with it. It's not the scene. I can't tell what God's doing. I can't see the good part. It's not the beautiful side of the tapestry. But the reality is, you and I are called to live by the eyes of faith in this in this new reality, in this in-between time, in this window between the, the new reality inaugurated by the person and work of Christ and the days in which the fulfillment finally comes to fruition. Between those things already fulfilled and those things we're simply waiting on. We live in the now and the not yet by faith. 
even when the threads of the tapestry look all messy and gnarled and gross. The reality is, you can live in the not yet because there isn't already. Don't miss the connection. You can live in the not yet because there, precisely because there is an already. God's already fulfilled the most difficult promise he's ever made. The head of the serpent is going to get crushed. How, how are you going to do that? I'm going to send my son. He's already made good on the most difficult promise he could possibly make. The new creation? His presence? I mean, that, that's nothing compared to the promise he's already fulfilled. Remember that as you seek to live in the not yet, you have an already. Christ has been given to save you. God has already fulfilled that promise you can trust him with the ones yet to be fulfilled let's pray together father in heaven we thank you for your promises we thank you that your word is true that we uh, look to you and and that which you have promised is as good as done in fact you even use past tense verbs with future tense adjectives in parts of the New Testament. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Father, would you make as real to us the sure and certain promises in Christ that we could use, that we could learn to use past tense verbs for future realities. Because they're that complete. They're that assured. Father, would you give us the grace to live when our eyeballs show us mess and knots and the underside of the tapestry? Would you give us the faith to live trusting that you see the upper? We ask it all in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.